Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you're a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is just for you. Uh, Each week we interview a special guest who works in a primary setting, who's been recommended to us to be on the podcast and find out what inspires them. We'll be asking them for their top tips, resources and philosophies that they are passionate about and share some of the funny stories that happen along the way. Uh, On this um, episode, episode 77 today, uh, we bring you Dr. Poppy Gibson. Poppy uh, has been in in primary education for 17 years, if you include the 11 years that she was in the classroom um, as a classroom teacher herself, as well as the six years that she has been lecturing on education as well. Uh, She is a host on Teachers Talk Radio, according to her Twitter bio, a well-being lead and all sorts of um, things that she does and has um, published a few books as well, uh, children's books. And so we're very excited to have Poppy on the podcast today and to hear what uh, she has to say. Please do leave a review of this podcast. It would really help get the uh, the conversation, the wonderful voices that we have on this podcast shared a lot more. Uh, and just a, a simple review, five minutes of your time, if even that, or a rating would really help uh, to get this podcast out. But without further, further ado, let's sit back, relax and enjoy the chat that we had with Poppy Gibson. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Poppy Gibson. How are you doing today, Poppy? Hi, Matt. Yeah, I'm feeling great. Thanks. Happy to be here. How are you? I'm doing very, very good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. No, you're welcome. I'm excited about all the things we're going to be speaking about. <laughs> Lovely. Well, let's start off with your quick fire questions, as we always do with our guests. First, to get you to get to know you a little bit. First of all, what is your Twitter handle? So you can find me at Poppy Gibson UK. I mean, I, I don't know if there are other Poppy Gibsons around the world. I presume there must be. But just so for anyone new that I'm UK based, yeah, at Poppy Gibson UK, come and join me. <laughs> Perfect. And how many years have you, have you been in primary education, Poppy? Oh, so this is a long one. I went straight into teaching age 21 and taught for 11 years. Now, maths isn't my specialty. 11 plus six years lecturing. So I guess you'd say... I've been working in the field of primary education for 17 years. Perfect. That's fantastic. Spot on. Well done there. And uh, (laughs) what's been your primary journey in those 17 years? Uh, You know, what roles, responsibilities have you had in that time? So, I mean, I I love primary teaching and I thought um, what what really suited me was getting to move around. So I was head of computing at one point, head of modern foreign languages because I speak a few. That was one of my other favourites. Head of PSHE and citizenship, you know, which changes (laughs) its shape over time. And yeah, moved into primary education lecturing six years ago. So now I run two degrees in primary education studies at degree level. So so still always thinking about primary education, but just kind of training the next generation of teachers now, which is super exciting. Perfect. Lovely. And uh, do you have a favourite subject, Poppy? And why is it your favourite subject? Yeah, well, so it'd probably be between computing or, or languages. I'd probably go with languages. I think... And and they're very similar in so many ways, aren't they, Matt? Because when we're coding, we're looking for patterns. And when we're learning languages, we're looking for patterns. So maybe that says something about my algorithmic brain. But there was something for me about kind of teaching children about languages and opening up that ambition and inspiration and, you know, learning that global mindedness that I think just was really exciting for me. So it's hard to pick but I'd probably go with modern foreign languages I think I love that and actually you're right computing in itself is a type of language isn't it so the way we speak so that's interesting that's brilliant Um, (laughs) in your own education Poppy uh, did you have a favorite teacher and why were they your favorite teacher um oh okay let me be really transparent with you Matt um I wasn't the best pupil at school So I was probably that one, you know, that you're you're hoping they might be absent. <laughs> um, but I think that's just, you know, just felt a bit misunderstood. Um, but favourite teachers, I suppose I, I just like those teachers who uh, maybe taught those more creative subjects where you didn't have those same boxes and barriers. I remember I had not really a favourite teacher, but I really enjoyed her lessons. Mrs. Cadman Davis, and she taught DT. And I always just remember making this rubber band car. You might have made one, actually. You kind of had to get a piece of doweling and some wheels and wind up a rubber band to make your kind of car work and yeah that's always stayed with me actually from primary school mm, lovely no that's great and it's, sometimes it's the subjects that were this being taught that kind of connects us to the teacher as well yeah exactly exactly and then finally if you had to or if you already do what after school club would you run 
Oh my gosh. Okay. So I've done so many, but uh, one of my favorites that really stood out when I was a primary teacher was digital photography. Mm. So we didn't have the money to get any fancy cameras or anything, which would have been my dream, but you know, we all know funding. <laughs> so instead we had a few iPads. So the cam the camera resolution wasn't great, but it was just so fun. We'd, we'd start the session after school, you know, with a theme. I, I'd kind of got the children to suggest themes the previous week. And then they'd all go off for half an hour around the school, around the grounds, and they'd come back um, and we'd share all their pictures up on the uh, whiteboard they'd put them in Dropbox I think uh, and then we'd all share them we'd all look at them and then they'd choose one for their portfolio and then at the end of term um, I printed out their top ones that they'd saved and we had a photography exhibition I managed to get some of those big you know like the big cardboard bannery things they're like about seven foot tall and printed out and mounted all these photos on card like a proper exhibition and um, yeah that that always stayed with me actually as a, as a favorite club. I love that. That's a great idea. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, so let's dive into then uh, to, to the questions that I've sent you ahead of time uh, so that we're, you, you'll know what's coming now. Uh, so first of all, um, Poppy, what inspires you then to become involved in primary education? Obviously, you mentioned yourself that, you know, school, it wasn't a, a great, um, you didn't enjoy it as much, perhaps, or there was not that connection there. So what inspired you to become involved in primary education then? Do you know what? I don't, I don't think there's one thing that inspired me. I think I just always loved people and loved learning so I think teaching just felt like a natural pathway and and there was the only other thing that floated into my mind when I was signing up on UCAS all those years ago was maybe being a translator and, and going to uni to do languages but for me I was just drawn to actually I want a career not just a job and and I do very much see teaching as a vocation and so to think about signing up for something that that I could do for life, that I knew I could grow a skill set, I knew I already had some skills. So I think it came from, you know, just growing up and enjoying relationships with peers. I always loved, you know, pretending to do school, you know, finding a, an empty exercise book and getting my younger brother to write lines in it <laughs> for sticking a, a smiley face on the end. So I think there was something in me that always enjoyed being like that facilitator for learning. And I mean, luckily, I went, did my degree, started teaching, and I've never looked back, really. And although I teach now adult learners, I still just have that passion for teaching, for developing someone's knowledge, developing someone's confidence. And so, yeah, I guess, I guess the question whether I always knew I'd be a teacher, I don't think there was that one moment of inspiration of a light going on. It's just, it was just always there, really. Yeah, it wasn't like a sudden moment. It just kind of developed over time. Mm. I just found that, oh, that's really something I want to do. Yeah, just a natural pathway. And uh, and why primary then? Why primary? Do you know what? I think it comes back to your previous question, which, which is my favourite subject. Mm. I'm someone who maybe comes down to being neurodivergent. Like, I enjoy doing lots of different things. And I've never been someone who could very easily answer favourite. What's my favourite anything? I find hard to answer. So let alone what is your favourite subject? So I think primary education for me at that time, when I was going off to do my first degree, was perfect because I knew I'd get to teach some maths, I could teach some English, I could teach languages, computing. So that was the appeal. And I love just working with children because I think I've always had an interest in, in a psych background, in psychology, and just knowing how fundamental that those childhood years are to be able to support young people at such a crucial and vulnerable time in their life just felt so meaningful for me I guess I I just felt really grateful to find a role where you could do so many creative things well within boundaries which I'm sure we'll get on to um but but with people who you know they're still finding their way finding their identity and, and you can be that sounding board for them just seems just the most valuable job in the world yeah no absolutely no you're spot on there I think like you say this idea that it's vocation is something you do for life and it's something you, you put so much into and you can get so much out of it as well i think it's it's, it's fantastic and like you say we work with the kids and work with the, the staff that we work with in schools and you know in, in the primary education i'm sure there's many stories you can share that made you laugh and uh don't <laughs> look back on uh, is there a funny story that you can share from your time being in primary education oh my gosh a funny story oh my word um this i mean like you say there's so many stories we all i'm sure have funny stories horror stories um one one story that actually is very charming for me um 
I've always been very keen on pets and trying to have pets in school where possible because obviously not all children can have pets um so we actually I managed to get a risk assessment passed I still can't believe (laughs) but to have gerbils in my classroom um so I managed to get this agreed I got a big tank uh two gerbils and uh, it was really sweet because a lot of the children used to take them home at weekends you know or the holidays so they could be looked after we kind of had a rotor and then the the funniest thing when they all came back in September the following year I think eight of the parents had all had to buy gerbils for their (laughs) I realized I should have set up some kind of gerbil uh farming you know very ethically sound gerbil process because I I actually unfortunately had convinced a lot of the families to end up having to get their own gerbils so but I I guess that was a, a nice story rather than a funny story but yeah, it was very sweet when they all came back in September just saying, Miss, guess what I got over the summer? And yeah, it was it was gerbil times eight. So <laughs> I love that. And I think that's brilliant because, um, you know, when you look, think about books that you use in class and you see like two or three other children have that same book, like as a copy, like their own copy a week or so later. But for your class, mm-hmm. oh, we've all got gerbils now because <laughs> uh, of our experience in there, which I, I love that idea. And like you say, the parents that had to then kind of make that commitment at home. But actually, like you say, <laughs> Perhaps it just found some sort of uh, love or some sort of passion that the children didn't know they had, which is, you know, a lovely thing. Exactly. And, you know, having a pet teaches us so many good life skills as well. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Absolutely. That's brilliant. Right. Let's go on to your primary three then. So for any listeners who aren't aware, the primary three are three things about primary education that the guest is passionate about. It could be top tips, resources, philosophies, absolutely anything that they feel passionate about. When they're asked you know three big things about primary education they think are really important and so poppy thank you for sending me yours ahead of time we're going to start, start with your first one and let's and talking about death with children so do you want to talk about first of all why that is so important to you yeah i mean i, I think this is such a big one because well firstly obviously matt it's the one thing that's going to happen to all of us mm. despite things we teach that may or may not happen you know i mentioned languages earlier i'll teach them spanish so i may or may not go to spain But we're all going to die and we still, for many of us, don't feel comfortable admitting that fact. I mean, unfortunately, you know, it's not going to not happen if we don't talk about it. We're not quite at that freezing everyone stage yet. So it, it just really interests me how we often want to shy away from big concepts with children, but they're so much more savvy than we give them credit for. And the reason that that I want to talk to you about, this is one of my primary three, because when Her Majesty died last year, Mm. I was inundated with people saying, Poppy, how do I talk to my children about, you know, the Queen dying? And and I was like, well, have you never done this when your pets have died? But obviously some people haven't had pets. Some people have done the worst thing when they've said to their child, you know, their their rabbit's eye, Fluffy's died in the night. And they said, oh, Fluffy's gone to sleep for a long time or Fluffy ran away. And I just think that's even more damaging, surely. You know, they'll never have closure. Where did Fluffy go? <laughs> why Why didn't Fluffy wake up? Um, they're actually telling the truth. So, so really, this is why, because I noticed, uh, and I spoke to BBC actually when, when Her Majesty died, and it just really encouraged me to think, why aren't we all talking more openly about death? And when you look at what some other cultures do, where they embrace death as part of life. And so it's not so scary because, you know, they'll visit the body, they'll make a shrine. And for some of us here in the UK, um, particularly some of us who might not be religious, I'm not religious, we don't always have those rituals and traditions to celebrate death in the same way. So so actually, how can we have those sensitive, child-appropriate, I mean, I'm not saying we just say everyone dies and, you know, that that's not what I'm saying, but we are all going to die. Why can't we look at this through? And we, and we do it a little bit, don't we, through life cycles. We'll look at life cycle of a plant. But actually, this is a funny story about my own child. I've got three children. Um, and my middle son, I remember he was doing life cycles last year. Life cycle of people. You know, they start with the plant. And I think they do an animal, normally a butterfly or a frog, and then human. And he brought home his science book. And his human life cycle, you know, it was like baby, child, um young adult adult and then then it, after adult it said old person then it said wither and die no shrivel and die <laughs> shrivel and die I mean I even remember a lot of children used to make the mistake of doing the arrow from old person going back to the baby again but <laughs> um shrivel and die and I just thought yeah actually 
that's spot on. Like our bodies are going to shrivel and die. I'm pretty sure your teacher didn't say those words. <laughs> but I was like, yes, like he was, you know, seven years old or something at the time. And I thought, yeah, like at least you understand this is what's going to happen to you. You know, hopefully we, we will reach old age. But um, yeah, I, ju- I just think maybe it's something we're not talking about enough in a sensitive way, but to help children prepare for the future. And I think pretending your animals gone to sleep or run away or or I've even seen people who buy very generic looking animals like a very generic looking goldfish so they can keep replacing the goldfish and again convincing your child they could go to Guinness World Records with like the world's oldest goldfish you're doing them a disservice <laughs> you know pretending that, that Goldie that you secretly replaced five times uh is the same Goldie is is actually not honest and okay we do need to you know protect our children but actually is avoiding talking about death is that protecting them or actually is that doing them a disservice mm. this is really important a really interesting topic as well uh, and it's one which i think that like you say because it's something which we don't try to approach you know all the time you know it's something we just don't kind of think about and unfortunately you know in very in some very tragic circumstances some of our children may have to experience that you know uh, as they go through mm-hmm. their school education as well and so i think being able to um address this and being able to know how to go about it is such an important thing especially like you say when like when major events like uh, queen elizabeth ii dying uh, was obviously a big one but actually in the in the school community you know we could have some sort of event which the children need to be ready for and as teachers we need to be ready to try and approach mm-hmm. so in terms of approaching this then what would you say to someone who you know is really on board with this and says yeah we, i need to not go you know to the classroom when we go back after half term and say right kids we're all gonna die like you said <laughs> how, how would we how would we go about approaching this then uh, in your in your opinion yeah so um really good question and again just as when we teach anything it depends on our class the age of our children but um some really good things that I've done and, and I recently did a CPD for a head teacher in Saudi Saudi Arabia because um someone in their family had a family member with terminal illness so you know they wanted to know how could they talk about that with the child so one thing that we, we were kind of speaking about is how we can kind of build in some of those rituals and memories so for example um making a memory box so it could be that if the children have got someone they know that's died or if they haven't it could be then for the queen for example that's all quite fresh still for many many children so making a memory box putting in things that remind us of that person and then I think that's what's so important as well is is showing our grief and I think the queen dying was was a really symbolic moment because a lot of us felt grief a lot of us felt grief grief for you know her dying she'd been such an amazing monarch but also grief of something can be very triggering for previous grief. And I think for a lot of us, it reminded us of when a grandparent had died or a parent had died um, or a partner had died. So so grief is very funny like that. And I'm sure for children to actually see us grieving is valuable too. So it could be, you know, the teacher sharing someone who they miss, someone who's died, you know, how do they remember them? Do they visit a grave like what can you do to remember people um writing a letter for someone who's died is is a really nice one so again it could be that if children don't have a, a grandparent or family member who's died writing a letter to a famous person um or even a pet who's died what would you say in that letter you know how would you update them on life what do you miss about them um and again for that teacher to role model i i really miss my grandma i used to go there every sunday for a roast dinner or whatever you know and i feel sad that i can't go there anymore i'm just making that up anecdotally but you know sh- sharing that as an adult you still grieve because i think grief is another big one and i've seen this when i open up conversations on social media around grief it's often my most popular tweet everyone wants to share every- nearly everyone's lost someone to death so to be able to remember them in a safe space is so important. And, you know, just saying, I, I really miss so-and-so, who do you miss? You know, or if if you could see someone again, who would it be? What would you love to do with them? What did you love doing with them? What would you love to do? And I, and I think even as an adult now, I love when people ask me, like, for example, I lost my dad when I was 22. And my best friend, unfortunately, lost her dad last year. And for actually for us to together talk about our dads as adults um is really powerful so I think if we start preparing children now to talk about these uncomfortable feelings you know sit with those tricky feelings and talk about them will hopefully give them better toolkits for when they're adults yeah 
No, it's really important. And actually talking about this just kind of reminds me a couple of settings ago I was, I was teaching in a member of staff uh, passed away after a long illness. And uh, I, oh. did, I, didn't, I didn't know the member of staff. I'd just kind of come to the school, but I was teaching year six. So, of course, they had known this member of staff for the majority of their school lives. Oh. And it was it was a big, big event. And like you say, it was thinking back now and how we approached it, you know, it was very much, you know, talking about it, you know, being open to sharing, sharing feelings and um, letting the children share feelings as well. Because like you say, and what's something you said there about how when you're kind of sharing your things on social media, it was some of the biggest things have the biggest impact you share is is about grief and about the the Mm -hmm. experience of losing someone. And actually thinking about it, it's probably one of the most common lived experiences we all go through because no matter what culture, no matter what setting, no matter what background we have, at some stage, we will know someone who does move on. Um, And I think that uh, I think that's such an important thing to to kind of share. Is there any um, uh, obviously you shared that you shared some CPD and things like that around um, about grief and things like that. Uh, is there any uh, resources or any sort of materials that you're, that you're aware of that you can share with teachers that can t- can touch into to um, to help them within this area? Yeah, so there there are lots of um, kind of good resources out there. It's often good to look on the charities. Um, for example, um, Cruise is a really good bereavement service. Um, and there are a few children's books out there. Just between us, Matt, and your listeners, um, I'm just coming up to finishing a children's book that I'm having illustrated by amazing illustrator, Alfred Rousseau. Um, our book's called When They Died. And this is a book that uses kind of that very truthful science, those very truthful answers um, behind the children's questions. So maybe we'll have to catch up again once the book comes out but I think sometimes books are great because we don't always know the right words to use when we're talking about those big conversations so yeah I think finding books and again just just have a look um online at the the best books for your age children but um there are lots of different ones out there I have to tag some when when you this podcast comes out I'll share some (laughs) links with you oh absolutely and that's the power of of sharing these things like the podcast and social media because you can tag and you can attach you can send all sorts of things so i look forward to when we when this does go out we're sharing those and also an exclusive there fantastic it's exciting to hear <laughs> the book coming out as well so that's brilliant thanks for that poppy thanks uh, let's go on to uh, your second of the primary three then uh, which is talking about another really important topic which is a, a one which we can uh, involve the children with as well in these kind of big discussions and it's around welcoming refugees into our schools so do you want to first talk about why this is such a passion for you uh, to begin with Kathy? yeah thanks matt so i mean this one i just had to have as one of my primary threes because i'm sure that many of your listeners um who already connect with me will know that i sponsored a ukrainian family last year it was a mother and son her son Daniel was six at the time when they flew over from Ukraine because of the invasion. And they lived with me for um, nearly seven months last year. And during that time, I just really thought Daniel's voice needed to be heard. So I wrote a children's book with Yulia. That was the Ukrainian mum. I wrote the book in English. She translated into Ukrainian. So it's a bilingual book. And um, we had it illustrated by amazing artist Terry Colkin. And the whole book's non-profit. So all the money's going to Voices of Children charity. Uh, so we're not taking a penny. Even the illustrator, amazingly, didn't want a penny for it. So um, it, the reason we, we wanted the book to come out, because like we were saying previously around death, we don't always know how to talk about these big, scary things with children. So I just thought, let's have a children's book. And although there are some good ones out there about child refugees and about refugees, the Ukrainian situation was a bit different because obviously, um, you know, these were gen- mostly uh, people who were in very good economic situation. Um, they were just totally sprung upon by the invasion. Many of them then had these sponsors that they could fly to or travel to. So a very different refugee journey to some other refugee journeys that that are shown in the literature which might be you know children with with no um, resources in a small boat at night so very different and this is why it it really you know struck me and Yulia Daniel's mum that we needed to tell this story differently because he's still a child refugee they're still refugees you know not from choice 
And luckily, the book has been really um, embraced in the community. We then brought out a paperback, which has 30 teacher ideas. And again, I think it comes back to just needing sometimes a bit of inspiration. How can we talk about these things? We, we don't want to worry children. We want to make sure we're being sensitive and compassionate. So this book was, was just one resource, really, to have these conversations, particularly as a lot of the children coming over from Ukraine, many of them are bilingual already in Ukrainian and Russian, but not all fluent in English. So that's why we wanted the book to be in Ukrainian and English. So to support the children, um, you know, that are still learning English and also just, you know, whether schools have refugees from Ukraine or not. I think so far in England, I think we've taken something like 250,000 refugees. So a lot of schools are now seeing Ukrainian children. I have to check that uh, figure. But, you know, obviously mothers and children are the, the ones that were allowed across through the visa scheme to the UK. So majority were mothers and children coming across. So this was just one way we could support those children and obviously some schools are amazing at this like the schools of sanctuary um Jeanette Baxter wrote our foreword for the book and you know so some schools are already embracing refugees into their community but this book was really just for those who were you know still learning the best way to embrace those that have been displaced um just kind of have those compassionate conversations yeah no it sounds like a really quite great way of kind of be, becoming more aware and uh, helping mm -hmm. teachers to and to help other children understand the the, the issue the issues because of course you know a lot of our children uh, you know most of them will not be in this aware of this you know perhaps they will be aware mm -hmm. of, they may not be aware of what's happening in the world setting depending on depending on their age but in terms of the actual real impact that this has on individuals and families you know it's something which um you know they won't be very much aware of so obviously you mentioned that you kind of um, produced and shared some ideas and, and resources about how teachers can talk about and approach this um, important topic with children in their classes without giving too much away from your book is there any, any uh, quick ways that you can share with teachers listening to the podcast about how uh, in their classroom they can approach this this topic of refugees Yes, definitely. And also that reminds me, obviously, we've got Refugee Week, uh, the week beginning 19th of June, as you know, I have to send you an invite. We're actually doing a book launch uh, 22nd of June, I have to send you an invite in case you're free, uh, which is free for, for everyone to attend as well. It's a non-profit event. Um, but I think really, it's just about um, kind of having the conversation, and like we said, around death as well, having the safe space. So simple activities, one of the ones from the book, really lovely activity, um, one educator sent in. Again, the educators all just sent free ideas to be published in the, the book for charity. Um, one really sweet one was making empathy glasses. So it was kind of from a piece of cardboard, cutting out spectacle shapes. Mm. Um, the children then painting them or sticking gems on them, sticking stickers on their glasses. And then while wearing their empathy glasses to then, you know, ask some of those big questions. How might you feel if you had, you know, if you had to get on a, a plane and, and leave your home, come to a new home? How might refugee children feel? And um, there are some other really good activities. You know, if you could only take three things with you out of your bedroom, what three would you take? And so just kind of trying to develop empathy. And again, I know as teachers, we're really good at doing that, but sometimes we just need a little bit of inspiration. So that's what the book's about, really. So you've kind of got the storybook that goes through Daniel's, loosely based on Daniel's story, and then these 30 ideas. Yeah, so I think it's it's just about mostly asking questions, but I think that's what's great about art, as you'll know. When we've got the children doing arts or, or things, they don't realise, actually, we're having a conversation about refugees, you know? <laughs> it just seems like a fun activity. And I think that's the key, keeping it fun, keeping it light, keeping it friendly and and encouraging them to say what they think and to have these conversations with them. Yeah, no, it's really it's really powerful that. And actually, I've not told you this, actually, whilst just before we're recording, but this episode is planning to go out on the 19th of June, believe it or not. Um, oh, so amazing, perfect. It's, it's all aligned perfectly, that, because, you know, I can it's, it's perfect. Literally, isn't it there as the date that that's the plan to go out? So, hopefully, listeners are, are enjoying this episode. And this is a week really to kind of maybe bring this up and share a lesson. And obviously, it isn't, shouldn't just be, you know, a one time, you know, one lesson thing in the year. It's something which we should be helping our children be aware is, you know, a year long issue. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's a really useful way to, to start that conversation and to, and to bring children closer to the awareness of, you know, these, th these things that are going on. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Fantastic. Let's go on now to the final of your primary three, Poppy, uh, and that is all around uh, the importance 
uh, of teacher self-care coming first. So do you want to first talk about, I mean, I think, you know, it's clearly important this, but do you want to tell us why for you, this is one of the first three things that comes to mind that you're passionate about uh, teacher self-care? Yeah, definitely. So kind of, kind of two reasons. One, because when I look back to my own uh, career, when I was a primary teacher, I definitely know that I didn't put myself first. And what one of those times that I really didn't care for myself, I ended up having to resign from a school um, and join another school, which actually was was the best thing for me at the time. But the whole experience, the whole emotional experience was was not good. So, so firstly, just learning from that. But secondly, I get so many teachers message me, you know, whether it's on LinkedIn or, or Twitter and just say, I don't think I can teach anymore. You know, I, I want to leave. What can I do? And and the first thing I always ask them is, like, do you actually want to stop being a teacher? Or is it just that at the moment is too much, you know, with with things that are happening? And and for many of them, it is actually, yeah, I do still want to be a primary teacher. So I think clearly there there is something that is making a lot of people feeling you know overworked and stressed so that's kind of why I just want to chat it through with you I guess because if a lot of people are starting to think I need to leave but at the core of it they don't want to leave then actually what can we do and obviously some things are out of control you know in any job we can't control everything and I think as a teacher one of the hardest parts is sometimes the things you can't control you know the curriculum you have to teach the marking policy you have to use um but what can we do within those boundaries of, of wherever we're teaching to still be happy, um, to still enjoy our job, but to still enjoy being us as well. And remember that we're not just a teacher, because although being a teacher is probably the main part of our identity, it's not the only part. So if you're too exhausted to do anything else apart from teach, you actually haven't got an effective work-life balance. So it's about finding that balance so that you can enjoy being a teacher, but also enjoy when you're not a teacher as well. Yeah. No, this is such a big thing. And, you know, obviously you mentioned that um, for, for yourself, you see it from your own experience and you see it from the experiences of the many teachers that contact you. But also we see it in the in the data, in the numbers as well. You know, a mm-hmm. huge amount of teachers leaving primary education and actually government targets not reaching the numbers that we need to recruit new teachers as well. That There is clearly something going on which is causing teachers to feel like that they just can't carry on. And I know personally as well, you know, people that I've uh, trained with who were so enthusiastic and so passionate and they were absolutely brilliant, but then they've ultimately left the classroom because, you know, just left education altogether because they just feel so much pressure and so much stress from what we are doing. And like you're Mm -hmm. saying, there are some aspects where, you know, we can't control that, but there are things we can try and do uh, to, to, to look after ourselves better. So, in terms of, you know, your own personal experience and reaching out to people and in terms of, you know, what you've looked at with this, uh, what would you um, say there's a teacher that contacts you and talks about and says, you know, they're really struggling. They want to teach still. They still love the idea of teaching, but it's just become a bit too much. What would you say to them? Mm-hmm. So my top tip would be time boundaries. So putting time boundaries in place. So I also remember, you know, you never wanted to be the first teacher to leave the premises. You know, you always felt like you're being judged if you left before four. Well, certainly I did. Uh, you know, sometimes almost it was who who can be the last one to stay in the staff room or <laughs> whatever. Um, maybe that was just some of the schools I taught at. But um, I think what's really important is is putting time boundaries on your own time. So outside of that, you know, when's your cutoff going to be on a Friday, for example? So you could either stay at school till six but then if if that's what you're doing that needs to be the cutoff same for in the week you know any day working till six is is a long day considering when you've started so you just need to be sensible and think you've done as much as you can it's so important you have that break or you will burn out so even leaving your laptop at school if that's something you felt you could safely do um leaving books in my car was one that um or leaving books at school so as i as i got smarter at working I used to think I'm not going to take books home because I don't know about you sometimes I'd take them home and I was so tired they would stay in my car I just I don't even have the energy to bring these bags of books out of my car so why am I doing that to myself why am I bringing work into my home you know most jobs don't do that um so I think where possible leave work at work if you do bring work home and you know that you're happy to open up your laptop in the evening put a time boundary on it mm-hmm. so again and I'm the same I love work and it's hard when you love your work because you want to do your best job but are you really going to do your best job if you're exhausted so I've 
started now I've deleted my email app off my phone I've deleted teams off my phone uh, so now I can only check them on the laptop and because you know I've got three children a lot of us have caring and, and parental responsibility as well so I'll say right six o'clock is the cutoff like six o'clock the laptop closes and the laptop won't open again till the next day so it's important for you thinking about your weekend can you have a work-free weekend if that's not possible can you have a work-free Saturday and you need to stick to it no checking emails no doing work like work will be fine um, my best thing would be to say to have a work-free weekend and although that sounds ridiculous it's really not you might think okay on a Friday then I'm going to work till seven or whatever works for you but having that extra bit of time on a Friday to work till 7 p.m for example laptop closed at 7 p.m that's it maybe Monday you could go into work in half an hour earlier to set your classroom up or whatever but it's so important you have that break it's such a busy job and it's such a consuming job that if you don't have that break it will just take over your whole world and the one critical point for me um when I knew I had to to make a change was it was firework night um and I was at home marking we had in the school I was in this crazy marking policy with next steps and you had to highlight three things do, even draw little steps you had to write steps you had to use different colors and I was doing the children's maths books and I was a phase lead as well so it was really you know I knew my work would be used as like a role model I had to make sure it was really good and it was firework night and I had firework tickets to take my children to a firework display with the family um and I had to say I can't come I've got to get these books marked for tomorrow my family went without me I'm thinking like literally as they got in the car I just burst out crying like oh my gosh what has my life become I'm choosing a pile of maths books that honestly I knew my children weren't really going to care about the feedback the next day <laughs> I knew I'd just give out the books and they'd probably just turn to the new page you know and get ready for the new lesson so to be to be honest my other bit of advice and this does sound a bit brutal and final but I I also then reflected that wasn't the school for me so I actually resigned from that school because it didn't fit my view of what education should be it didn't view, fit my view of what marking should be uh I wasn't happy I was exhausted I was spending so much time marking books because of this marking policy um that my whole evenings were consumed by books that I had no time for to plan anything creative. So I actually left that school, found another school that then was a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. So my, I guess my other advice is, don't think about leaving the profession as your first step. <laughs> Could it be that there's another school that'd be a better fit for you? So, and that, that's really not so scary. Do you know how many schools we have in the UK? Now I don't have the number, but it's thousands. <laughs> it's thousands and I'm Tens sure even- probably, yeah, that's- this Thousands is and thousands, <laughs> yeah. So. So I would say if you're thinking about leaving teaching, stop. Like you've trained hard. And like you said, Matt, like you've trained hard for this. You've trained long. It's not like you've made a snap decision and you're in the classroom. You've trained. You've put a lot of time and thought and probably money into this. You haven't made a rash decision. You love it. You're clearly passionate about it and want to do it. But just at the moment, you're feeling exhausted. So maybe it's just the school isn't the right fit. So in that situation, I would say you know there's so many vacancies around have a look around the jobs um at other schools go look at a tour at another school look on their websites is there a school that more closely fits your view of education and maybe that's what you need just a fresh move um and a school that fits your view of education and and that for me reignited my love in teaching because then I went to a school where they didn't have next steps marking. I remember going in like, what's your marking policy look like? And they're like, oh yeah, it's just light touch, you know, tick a page to show it's been seen. I was like, oh my gosh, like already this is important. Obviously we need to pick up, you know, errors and misconceptions, but do they really need five next steps or a little steps draw next to it? In my opinion, no. Um, so yeah, I would say try and set boundaries on yourself. And if it, if that's still not working, you're still working every night till nine working all weekend clearly some something maybe isn't a fit with that school yeah no there's so many fantastic things you said there and they're kind of the three kind of main things that jumped out there was about the boundaries was about um making sure that you think about how you work and how you know for you it needs to look but also um not then packing it in or saying right well then i'm done but you know is there another school that's a fit right mm -hmm. And I think uh, that, that what's interesting what you said about the boundaries, um, obviously think about leaving a laptop, leaving books, um, you know, thinking about um, the work-free weekend idea as well. I think what's interesting and what maybe makes this so difficult 
is that um, for someone else, like for you, it's, you know, ideally you have a work-free weekend, whereas someone else may say, well, I'd rather have my evenings more free and have a mm -hmm. bit of time at the weekend. It's a very personal thing, isn't it? It's a very yeah, um, yeah. individual thing, that, that choice, isn't it? I guess as long as some time is free, <laughs> whether that's your evenings are free or your weekend is free, then that's okay. You're, you've got that balance again that we spoke about. But if nothing is free, if you're working evenings and weekends, then then something isn't sustainable. And you've got to think what's sustainable. If you want to, you know, grow your career, you need something that's manageable and sustainable and gives you that space to be you outside because that, that's what's going to make you the best teacher, actually, isn't having all your books perfectly marked, but having the energy to go in on that Monday morning, you know, energy to greet your children, to have a laugh with the children, to teach your children. That's what you need. Um, so, yeah, please don't quit until you're really sure that that's the choice for you. And then even then, like, so so I was coming up to 11 years of teaching. So I've been teaching for 11 years. And, and it was at that point I was kind of falling out of love with teaching a little bit but knew I needed to still teach because I love it. And that was when I finished my PhD and moved into lecturing. So now I still teach. So also, I guess, if you really are sure that primary teaching isn't for you anymore and you've, you know, you don't want to look at other schools, then just think what, what else could work? You know, for those of you that are able, maybe a lectureship could work for you. We often employ at university level people without PhD um, who are called a lecturer practitioner. So this is where, um you might have a master's maybe so you can obviously teach at that higher level but you don't have a phd or or an edd yet which is a doctor of education um but more and more universities now are looking to um hire people straight from the classroom if you've obviously not if you've only been teaching a year it's probably not enough experience but if you've been teaching a significant period of time so for me it was 11 years but it will depend on you your experience on, on what the university is looking for um but consider whether actually is it just a bit of a change of landscape that you need? Or I know people that have gone into tutoring, um, someone that moved into education recruitment. So it might be that there are other ways you can still not totally sever all ties with education, but just find another way to use your skills and, and still love teaching. Yeah. And like you say as well, I think it comes down to, again, thinking about this individual approach, you know, it, it may depend on the person and also just them understanding that you have control taking us right back to the start of this kind of little discussion we've had about well-being is that whilst there are things out of your control there are many things in your control the the, the challenge mm -hmm. is whilst you're in the midst of it all swimming and you know sinking perhaps <laughs> in many cases yeah. actually there is something you can grab onto and sometimes mm -hmm. i think that it's recognizing we can do that rather than just losing yeah. ourselves in the day-to-day -day, you know and there is just so many things to do. I mean, we've mentioned marking, but also just you know, a huge amount of things for teaching. But I think that, like you say, taking those uh, really important steps of taking a step back, looking at where mm -hmm. you're at and making specific intentional choices to, to help you to out, come out of that, I think is really important in what you're saying there. Definitely. And Matt, I totally agree with what you say there. Like when, when you're caught up in that slipstream and you feel like you're sinking, one other thing I think is a really useful tool is like grab a piece of paper and try and think what what's maybe your five year plan. So this is you at the moment, you know, trying to swim upstream and struggling. But what's the bigger picture? Because you're not always going to be in this classroom with the, this year group. You know, what's the bigger picture? Are you going to look for a coordinator role, a leadership role, like a phase lead or moving into like deputy headship headship? Are you now thinking, actually, maybe I'd like to move into lectureship? So do you want to try and do a master's? Maybe doing some further study like a master's could, you know, give you that you time back in a weird way. Like certainly for me, postgrad study was my me time because I have my three children, you know, when they're in bed, that's when I'd, you know, crack on with my essays. And actually that was really good for my well-being, challenging myself um, in a new way. So sometimes trying to think what's your five year plan? And obviously it doesn't plans change. It doesn't have to mean you stick to it. But it's something I even do now as a lecturer. I think, right, what's my five year plan? I want to go for professor, you know, I want to publish this many papers, I want to write this book. So I think that just also reminds you the bigger picture and reminds you right now, things might be tricky. But it's not always going to be this way. What can you aim for? What is the next thing you can climb? And even whether you don't want to move into management, is there a course are you really interested in dyslexia, ADHD, is there a course you could do those little nuggets? 
that keep up your own lifelong learning, I guess, um, and remind you what you love about teaching and, and kind of keep you ignited in a different way. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that as well. In, in terms, I think, because I think there's been a a, a, percept, a perspective or perception, that's the word, that um, if you are going to progress in teaching, you have to kind of go the senior leader route. route. And of course, that's not the case. There's many things you mm-hmm. can do. Uh, the MPQs, you know, I love the fact that we have a variety of MPQs that aren't just based on senior leadership and headship and so on, but you've got teaching and learning, you've got all sorts of things uh, wrapped up. Mm-hmm. That. And so I think, you know, helping you to progress and develop yourself uh, is a really big uh, point as well to talk about, because then you can see just how you are changing and improving and developing over time as well. And having that reflective time mm-hmm. is such a really important thing as well. Exactly. Yeah, so that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Poppy. I'm sure we could talk so much more about this, but we're going to bring the chat to an end at some point. So let's uh, come to the final couple of questions then uh, that we have for you. Okay. Uh, first of all, who would you recommend for a future interview on this podcast? Oh, now you've already interviewed a lot of the people that I love and I would recommend. Uh, and there's so many people I would recommend, but someone who stands out for me would have to be uh, Annalise Paris also known as the Petit Primary. Um, She is fantastic. We've actually worked together on an article before about languages, actually. You can find it on Nexus Education. We co-authored a piece um, on, you know, why languages are more than just a subject. Um, She also wrote a couple of case studies for my new book that's coming out with Routledge in July. So her knowledge is brilliant. She's so much fun. She's so knowledgeable. She does great work supporting primary teachers on their journeys as well. So as well as being a teacher herself. So yeah, fingers crossed she would say yes. I think she'd be brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. That's brilliant. Uh we'll get in touch with her and try and get get something set up. And finally for you, Papi, to bring this to the end, what is the best thing about being in primary education? Oh, the best thing, do you know what? It's that final day of the summer term when you just see how much they've grown and you think back to September you know when you did that icebreaker activity on the first morning you know they coloured a hot air balloon or whatever they did or wrote an all about me passport and and you just look at them now and you just think oh my goodness you know this they've grown in confidence they've grown in their skills they've made new friends you've got to know them and all about you know every little (laughs) it, it every little thing about them and yeah, and, ju- and just feeling blessed, I guess, to be a part of their journeys and a part of their lives and feeling like you've done all you can in, in that time to prepare them for their lives ahead. I think, yeah, when you wave them off on that last day of the summer term, it's just got absolutely golden. Amazing. Love that. Well, what a wonderful way to end that. And we've reached the end of our podcast today. And so uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing your time with us today, Poppy, on Primary Education Voices. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, I look forward to listening to all the future episodes. (laughs) Well, wasn't that another fantastic uh, chat that we've had on this podcast? Poppy brought some really important uh, discussions and topics to uh, primary education voices today. And when she sent me a primary three, I was really excited to talk about them. Um, not because they're exciting topics necessarily, but they are topics which need to be addressed with our children and some things which, particularly the first one, that they're going to ex- go into experience at some point in their lives, um, indirectly, of course, and of course, directly uh, at some point. Um, the first that thing we spoke about uh, with her primary three about death and um, bringing this approach to children to help them understand and come to terms with the idea of of death I think is really important and one which um, I hadn't really um, aside from the couple of the couple of experiences where I've in my own practice had someone in the school community which has had an impact because of a death in, in their close vicinity uh, really have not really reflected very much on and it's one of those things which I think that we do well to just kind of find some resources on find some research behind and be able to make sure that we're prepared for because it will be something which at some stage we will probably have to help children work through in our professional careers as well. 
Um, of course, the death of Queen Elizabeth II was kind of the, the, the kickstarter, really, for Poppy looking into this and thinking and reflecting on this and uh, helping children to be able to have these big discussions in a way that is age appropriate for them uh, and which can support them with their, the emotions that come with such a big topic. I thought it was really important uh, for, for Poppy to kind of share with us and to share her insights on. This idea that, that grief should be modelled, that as a teacher, we may share some experiences about someone that we miss, about how we can do some approaches such as writing a letter to, the, to a person or a pet that has been lost. Um, you know, And just this discussion le- leading me to think about how it is one of the most, probably if not the most common uni- um, unifying lived experiences that we will all engage with at some point in our lives, the idea of losing someone or something. And so... Um, I think that this is just such a really important discussion. And of course, you know, in a 40 minute podcast, we can't really cover um, in depth too much uh, about this. But looking out for some of those resources and materials, and I'm sure Poppy will share some of those when the podcast comes out as well, will be really helpful. Similarly, with the idea about um, helping children to accept and embrace and welcome refugees in the classroom, whether that is actual refugees that have come from another country into their class or whether that is being open and um, empathetic about children who go through those experiences in the world in which they live as a global citizen. Um, I think that um, you know this is such a really important topic and one that was clearly close uh, to Poppy's heart in, in her own experience of welcoming U- Ukrainian refugees into the, her home for seven months and just having her eyes opened to the hugely life-changing experience it is and helping children who you know who are not going through that experience at this moment in time to understand just how difficult that can be and of course as i mentioned the the day this episode goes out it is refugee week and so perhaps if you have uh, some time in your week to timetable and think about your in your pshe or your citizenship citizenship work or your you know collective worship as a class thinking about how we can support others through difficult times, whether they be refugees or we think about the principles of someone who may be a refugee. I think that that is a really worthwhile goal. And then, of course, we talked about teacher self-care. And this is such a big topic, you know, along with relationships, uh, along with, um, you know, getting to know children in the classroom. I think that self-care and well-being is one of the most things we've spoken about quite a bit on this podcast. And it's is great to hear from um, other guests and from Poppy their perspective and viewpoints on this really important topic, and one in which, as we talked about in our, in this episode today, that ha- helping teachers to take that step back and recognise what they can influence and what they can control is a really important thing. And Poppy um, has spoken with and shared ideas with many teachers on this important topic, and so it was really great just to get her insight from her own kind of research and her own insights into this area about how we can develop and support the mental health of our teachers that we work with. Whether we are leaders of teachers or whether we are peers of teachers, um, you know, we have influence on others to support them through difficult times. And so really important message there from Poppy. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Poppy. All that's left for me to say is if if there's a primary colleague that you'd love to hear more from, you can contact me on Twitter, either at Prime Edgy Voices or me personally at mroberts90matt. Let me know what inspiring primary teacher, TA or support staff or leader or whoever it is who is involved in primary education that you'd love to hear featured on a future episode. Please do uh, get in touch with that. And as I said at the start, please do subscribe and review the podcast. That would really help to get it out further and to share that message out more about the amazing um, professionals that we have uh, with this CPD to share with you. Thank you so much for joining me for another Primary Education Voice. And we'll see you again next time when we will meet another inspirational educator.